Greetings, parish orphans and retrogrades. Happy Tuesday. Yesterday, uh, Monday, April the 25th, the Supreme Court heard the case of a high school football coach who preferred to pray at the 50-yard line of the field, and he was batted around in the lower courts, losing. He brought it all the way to SCOTUS, and I'm going to tell you about his arguments yesterday. And it's a LifeSite News article that's very helpful. And more than that, I'm going to tell you why SCOTUS hates Christianity, why SCOTUS opposes Christianity. The answer is not what you think it is. I can guarantee you this because I've talked to so many of my trad and semi-trad friends that have a misconception of the reason, or at least a partial misconception. All that is coming up on today's show when we talk about yesterday's Supreme Court hearing the case of the high school football coach fired, I think I left that out, fired for praying at the 50-yard line. It's craziness. All right, so that case will be docketed, the verdict will be released in June along with Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, the case that we're hoping against hope will overturn Roe versus Wade. Toward all of this end, I have just completed, actually today, later today, I complete the last class of a Constitution class where I explain the history of the court and why it opposes Christianity so much, at least since the 1940s. That's the kicker. It's not throughout the entire history of the United States Supreme Court. It's since the 1940s. That class is available on timothyjgordon.com for sale. Now you won't take it live, but uh, for a much cheaper price, starting next week, all of our courses are going to go on sale for summer, and you can take the pre-recorded version for cheaper than you could have taken it live. That's on timothyjgordon.com. We're going we're gonna to have a big push in May to uh, have you guys take all of these cheapest ever pre-recorded courses, and we've got about 10 of them now that you can pick from. It's good to keep the brain active, the mind going during the summer. Go to timothyjgordon.com, though we're, we haven't quite set this newest course up yet because today is the last recording of the live class. It's important that we do this because we're awaiting the June decision on this case, a religious case, Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health, which is actually not a religious case. It's just relevant to religious people like you and I, parish orphans and retrogrades, that's an abortion case, which is a natural law thing. It's a natural law concern. Yeah, the court might say it's only for religious people, but it's expressly not. All of that's coming up in June, almost a month away, a little more than a month away. This is a big deal in the late history of this country. If you want to support this program, before I get into this interesting case and the even more interesting history on it, if you want to support this program, go to Patreon and support Timothy J. Gordon. <laughs> Before I, 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 I've told you, hey, we need your support. I've published four books in four years, and Stev has published one there. So between me and the wife, five books in four years, and they're all controversial. Catholic Republic, controversial topic, very controversial. Rules for Retrogrades, How to Oppose the Cultural Left, The Case for Patriarchy, and Seth's book, Ask Your Husband. And in late summer, 
don't go to college. These are all controversial, and we are being attacked, naturally and supernaturally. If you want to support us, buy the books, but more directly than that, support on Patreon, Timothy J. Gordon backslash. If you want to support your own family, conversely, get out of your blue state, get to a red state, do so by going to realestateforlife.org. Good people are doing this every week, and I think I am one of the most effective pushers of Real Estate for Life because people know that it's so close to the bone of the Rules for Retrogrades project. States' rights, the South, uh, neo-Confederacy, if you will, get to one of the last bastions of true smaller republicanism where freedom and Christianity still live alive and well in the American experiment. States' rights, where government is done locally here in the South, do so by going to realestateforlife.org. Get from the bluest of the blue, like California and New York, to the reddest of the red, like Mississippi or Alabama. That's what I did, and we couldn't be happier with our decision. Go to realestateforlife.org. Okay, so um, I've been following LifeSite News. Uh, I always follow them, but I've been following them more closely than usual since they've had an interesting string of analysis the last month. This case came out yesterday, and the article came out yesterday as well. Supreme Court hears the case of high school football coach fired for praying at the 50-yard line. It reads, the Supreme Court on Monday heard the case of former coach Joe Kennedy. Sounds like a good Roman Catholic, right? Who was fired by Washington's Bremerton School District in 2015 after he silently prayed on a school field after a football game. This is seven years old, this case. In its inception, it shows you how protracted, how prolix the legal process can be and usually is. What appeared to be sympathetic statements yesterday during the two-hour hearing by justices of the Supreme Court's conservative majority, careful with that, we don't have a bona fide conservative majority. What's known as the 5-4 majority includes three justices, all the appointees of Trump who are more middle of the road and uh, often side with the liberals. When it's as razor thin, the so-called majority you lose one vote, 5-4, all of a sudden it's 4-5, and it becomes a liberal majority. And this happens quite frequently. Only Justice Thomas and Justice Alito are hardcore conservatives on the court. These guys are ballers. Trump's three picks were all swing and a miss, okay? Because they're all, they're not liberals, but they're centrists who often side with the liberals. Uh, but, but nevertheless... There does appear to be, uh, uh, on first blush, sympathetic statements by these five justices acting conservatively, as per this case, during the two-hour hearing yesterday. Uh, the court, thus, some are hopefully may side with Kennedy in its decision anticipated by the end of June. We never know exactly when the decisions will, will come out. Uh, Paul D. Clement, Kennedy's lawyer, opened the session with a constitutional defense of the school's, uh, the, the coach's prayer, explaining when Coach Kennedy took a knee midfield after games to say a prayer of thanks, his expression was entirely his own. That private religious expression is doubly protected by the free exercise and the free speech clauses, both of the First Amendment. 
I'm going to teach you a few things about the First Amendment today in case you don't take my constitutional class, which you really should. We go into great more detail. But I want to teach all of you the First Amendment. It is fundamental to America, to the collapse of America, and to even what's called integralism or post-liberalism. People misunderstand the First Amendment and its history and they blame early America for a flaw that developed very, very decisively in late America, post-World War II America. We're going to talk about that in about five minutes. Clement told the court he believes the decision, quote, not only violated the First Amendment, he's talking about the decision below, lower courts, but ignored a veritable wall of Supreme Court precedents that make clear that a school does not endorse private religious speech just because it fails to censor it. This jurisprudence of the First Amendment, needless to say, is utterly a mess. It's a mess because the First Amendment of the United States Constitution has not only been perverted a bit or subverted a bit, but it has been reversed. Perfect inversion of what it uh, meant for the first hundred years of the country. Well, Kennedy was eventually joined in prayer by students, and he had begun making religious references in motivational speeches to his players, He prayed on the field without uh, any issue for seven years. It wasn't until a coach of the opposing team. Can you imagine that? A coach of the opposing team told Bremerton High School's principal that Kennedy had asked the coach's players to join him in a post-game prayer, adding that he, quote, thought it was pretty cool the district would allow such activity, that the district launched an investigation into Kennedy's compliance with the school board's religious policy, CBS News reported. So... The opposing coach is the one that got him in trouble. I've been a, I haven't been a football coach. I've been a high school basketball coach. And it's a bit funny that, that the opposing team's coach ended up getting him into trouble, even though it was unintentional. <laughs> that kind of kind of sucks. That's adding insult to injury. Uh, I wonder if they won that game. Uh, while acknowledging that Kennedy had not actively encouraged required participation in either a pregame prayer In the locker room or his inspirational talk at midfield after games, the district said in a September 17th, 2015 letter that he was likely violating the First Amendment's Establishment Clause and was exposing the district to significant risk of liability, according to CBS News. All right, like I often do, I'll I'll take the first third or half of an article and I I can fill in the rest. They tend to be front-loaded the way good journalism outfits like LifeSide or Church Militant Uh, report. And that's enough because they front load all the facts there. And then I'll I'll give you the real story on whether or not, uh, what's his name, Kennedy, likely violated the First Amendment's Establishment Clause and was thereby exposing the district to significant risk of liability. Now, the reason I have two books in front of me, I recommend you get both, by the way. Uh, neither of them are mine. One is uh, The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Constitution. I've talked a great deal about it. Great primer on the Constitution. Great primer on states' rights. Get this book. It's cheap. It's a regnery press book, a politically incorrect guide. All of them are great. This is the Constitution. This is a bit more in-depth. This is all about... This is the last word. This is like Fazer and Bissett's book on the death penalty. This is the last word on the First Amendment and the way 
that masons on the court in the 20th century completely reversed the meaning of the First Amendment in America. And I'm going to be reading from both books in a second, but I also want to tell you, conservatives and a lot of Catholic conservatives have such a profound misunderstanding of what happened with the First Amendment that they, under the heading post-liberal, post-liberalism, or integralism, they make some grave errors in their calculation about how to reverse what the Masons on the 1940s and 1950s Supreme Court did. Make some major errors. Let's get into it right now. Let me read for you the so-called religious clauses of the First Amendment. Now, I say clauses because there are allegedly two. The way that that the the First Amendment jurisprudence, the way that the uh, cases and controversies before the Supreme Court has changed the meaning of the uh, First Amendment some, we say there are two clauses, the free exercise clause and the establishment clause. Here's here's, uh, First Amendment. Congress. Congress. Most important word in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, that's called the Establishment Clause, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Okay, now it goes on to, the First Amendment does several things at once. It goes on to say, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of Grievances. Now, those are all related to what's called in America free speech, and we're not going to be talking about those, but let me read the ostensibly two religion clauses that begin the First Amendment. I'm going to reread it one more time, okay? This is not some hide-the-ball law professor exercise. You're going to see how you fundamentally have been misled about the nature of Christianity in America It is fundamental, and it is comprehensive. Very few people know what I'm about to impart to you. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, most constitutional scholars that I trust say this really isn't two separate clauses, uh, propositionally. It's one. It's two separate clauses, grammatically, but... But exercise and establishment are supposed to go together. That's not so important for what I'm going to be talking about today. The most important word in the entire First Amendment is Congress. Now, of the Bill of Rights, the first 10, or more realistically, the first eight amendments are actually rights. The ninth and 10th are exceptional in some ways. There is only one, and it's the first one, that mentions Congress by name. If you don't know, this is middle school level stuff, but but civics have gotten really bad in America. So what the Bill of Rights are is a short list, a short list of enumerated rights that the people hold, the people of the several states, 13 states in 1791 when the Bill of Rights was ratified, that they will hold forever until there's an amendment you know, overturning whatever right they were granted. It's a bit of a belt and suspenders approach because Congress was not allowed to touch these rights by definition anyway in in the body of the Constitution, not the amendments, but the body. 
Congress wasn't allowed to do anything regarding any of these first eight amendments rights anyway. You see, they, they don't have the authority back in 1791, Congress didn't, to touch these rights. Well, they grew their power throughout, Congress did, throughout the next hundred years. So it's a darn good thing that we have the Bill of Rights saying, even though you've grown your power and now you would, as per the body of the Constitution, have acquired, self-acquired enough power, commandeered enough power, to start taking away these sovereign rights of the people in the first eight rights of the Bill of Rights? Well, we've expressly taken them beyond the control of Congress to wrestle away. So that's a good thing. What you don't understand, if you're you know, in the vast majority, 39 out of every 40 people I talk to who haven't studied the Constitution too specifically, or just a very knowledgeable, a uniquely knowledgeable conservative is, that for each of the first eight Bill of Rights rights, the first eight amendments, the states, the individual state legislatures were allowed to, quote-unquote, violate uh, whatever, whatever right is under question. Amendment 1, Amendment 2, etc., through Amendment 8. They were. That's a little bit like... Um, what I'm telling you is the Bill of Rights were Congress-specific. Only the federal legislature, the Congress, was not allowed to establish an official countrywide religion. And they meant brand of Protestant Christianity, because that's what everyone was in 1791. Congress was not allowed to establish a countrywide religion. Congress was not allowed to... Uh, interfere with the, the private rights of people to, to keep and bear arms, Second Amendment. All of the eight, first eight amendments, you see, Congress couldn't do those, but the state legislatures could forever. And so when I say, oh, well, state legislatures are allowed to, quote unquote, violate the First Amendment, well, it's not really a violation because they're allowed to. It's a bit like you set a, you set a, maybe a nine o'clock bedtime for your six-year-old you're not setting a nine o'clock bedtime for your 16-year-old, right? So you wouldn't say, oh, your 16-year-old gets to violate the bedtime. You're just saying, it's not violating because you never set the rule for them. State legislatures, under the 10th Amendment, police power, is supposed to be making religions for its state, have an official establishment of Christianity for the entire state. Did you know that? No, you didn't. The, the, the state legislatures are supposed to be making laws for the health, safety, welfare, morals, and security of the state. State legislatures are supposed to be the ones, just for their little state, not for the whole country. The state legislatures are supposed to be the ones making pornography illegal, making drag queen story hour, I don't know, punishable by death. <laughs> you know, I'm... I'm, I'm uh, Joking here, but making that illegal. Now, it's basically grooming, so I wouldn't oppose such a measure. Uh, making, legislating morality. What the U.S. Constitution, the genius anti-Masonic document, originally established until about the Civil War in this country, was subsidiarity, the Catholic principle of all of the important laws, legislating morality. I'm not, not a libertarian the way some people think. I'm a conservative. At the local government level, you're supposed to legislate morality at the state 
legislature level, not at the federal level. Federal Congress is supposed to do almost nothing. So people say, oh, you're a libertarian at the federal level, not at the state level. The state level, I'm a conservative. Go ahead and legislate morality, but only for your state. The states were meant to be the laboratories of experimentation, as several U.S. uh, justices have now used the term. That means one state's allowed to make an onerous law, I don't know, eight of the 13 original states after the passage of the First Amendment had official establishments of some sect of Protestant Christianity. Normally, uh, they were like Anglican in the South or Baptist and some sort of Covenantist, Congregationalist in the North. Official state establishments. I'm talking the integralists and post-liberals who want to have an official countrywide religion. That, that was expressly denied. And they say, oh, uh, you know, Gordon, he's, he's, this guy hates integralism. No, I like integralism at the state level. And so did America. And that's what the First Amendment stands for. Stands for two things. There can't be a countrywide establishment of Christianity, but there can be statewide establishments of Christianity, and even there should be. And that's why America cannot rightly be called Masonic in its founding. In 1788, when the Constitution was ratified, it's summer, or 1791 when they added the first 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights, three years later. At neither of those times could you call America Masonic because the the Masons are the ones who strongly advocate for a wall of separation between church and state. It was a big Masonic goal, especially in the 1800s. We need to get a wall of separation between church and state in America. And America, as it was founded in 1788, 1791, expressly encourages its states who were an empire within an empire. State government's supposed to be more sovereign than national government. It expressly encourages its states to have an official statewide religion branch of Christianity, usually some Protestant Christianity. We could have done it if we had enough Catholics to fill a Catholic state. Catholicism is the official state religion of Maryland or something, or Mississippi, if the Baptists would buy it. They'd never go for it. You see what I'm saying? That is not what you thought in America. You thought because of something that, that you could basically thank Abraham Lincoln, the tyrant, for this, because ultimately the 14th Amendment was passed in his name, that the Bill of Rights kept the state governments and the federal government from violating those sovereign rights. That's dead wrong. The First Amendment stood as much for the proposition that the the national government was not allowed to interfere with the state establishments of religion, of individual states. Mississippi, if they had a choice down here still, if not for the 14th Amendment and Lincoln, who changed all this, who made it illegal, who inverted the meaning of the First Amendment, Mississippians would have Baptist, baptism, whatever it's called, baptistry, as their official state religion. And it was legal until not just 1868 when the 14th Amendment was ratified after the Civil War, but until the court started interpreting the 14th Amendment as constraining the states from having their own branch of Christianity, 
statewide establishment of Christianity in the year 1947. This book by this Northwestern professor of law, Philip Hamburger, a delicious name, right? Uh, Separation of Church and State tells the entire tale. He's an excellent guy. I'm not even sure he's a Catholic. He sounds like one. It's a very pro-Catholic book. And the story is all about the masonry on the court in 1780s, 1790s. No. The Masons lost big time when the foundational documents of America were being drafted. They lost. Why? Because the states are allowed to and encouraged to have an establishment of Christianity officially for the whole state. And they did. Most of them did. Eight of 13. Can you believe that? Well over half. Well over half of the states had official establishments of Christianity. The First Amendment meant that the Congress can never make a law interfering with the state's rights to do that. But that has happened. So how? I'll tell you how. And it meant that Congress wasn't allowed to make a national religion, but you're supposed to. This is the very idea of subsidiarity, loved by Pope Leo XIII, Pope Pius X, Pope Pius Twelfth, Pope Pius XI, who coined the term subsidiarity. They want you to be able to have your choice. State sovereignty means all the important laws are done state to state. That means now that we have 50 states instead of 13, you can migrate around, find a state that suits you best. Its laws will be moral, Find a state whose morality matches your own. Find a Catholic state. Find a conservative state. And that's what I push very hard by telling you guys, go to realestateforlife.org. Find a better fitting state for yourself whose laws and whose culture matches your own. Unfortunately, in America, the most conservative you can get is a very Baptist state. There are no very Catholic states, but this is the closest thing by culture. Now, I can tell you that seven... Fully seven of nine of the justices on the post-war court after World War II, which turned America very secular, a generation before you think so. You think this happened in the 1960s. It happened in the 1940s. Seven of nine justices were open, notorious Freemasons starting in the latter half of the 1940s. This number would rise to eight out of nine in the 1950s court open, notorious Freemasons on the court who accomplished the goals of the Freemasons who in the 1890s said the goal for the 1900s, this century, is to erect a wall of separation between church and state in America. America is the opposite. America has states that are supposed to have official Christianity. So you don't understand the full extent of the confusion among right-wingers on this issue. They think the First Amendment applied to states all along. They don't know most of the states have an official establishment of religion. They don't understand the distinction between national government and state government, and they say idiotic things. So what most people don't know is that my book, Catholic Republic, is an endorsement of a certain kind of integralism, the kind that the original U.S. Constitution stood for, the kind that Pius XI loved, uh, subsidiarity, States' rights integralism, not national integralism. That would never work. But how did this change? If the First Amendment prohibited Congress, the national legislature, from ever messing with the state legislatures when they set up their official state religions, keep your nose out. The First Amendment guarantees 
as against the federal government? Well, here's how. The way everything fell apart in this country, not through legislation, but through legislation from the bench, the highest court's bench, Supreme Court. They started reversing the meaning of legal doctrines like they reversed the meaning of the First Amendment. There's a 1940 case. If you're taking notes, there'd be a few basic cases. 1940 case called Cantwell versus Connecticut, where the court, I'm, I'm reasoning from Gutzman's excellent book now, uh, Politically Incorrect Guide to the Constitution. I'm on page 175. 1940 case of Cantwell versus Connecticut. The court takes the free exercise clause of the First Amendment and turned it upside down. That's Cantwell. That's not as important. I'm just showing you this is where it begins. The Masons on the court start reversing the meaning of religion. The biggest one, the biggest single instance of this comes seven years after that, after World War II, when the culture in America was getting, it was a bunch of wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, becoming really, really secularized. 20 years before the 60s. Uh, It's called Everson versus Board of Education, 1947. They perform a similar feat that Cantwell had done with the Free Exercise Clause, now with the Establishment Clause, and this was more important. Why? Because now they turned the meaning of the Establishment Clause on its head. I spent 10 or 12 minutes telling you what the meaning of the Establishment Clause is. States can establish an official religion. The National Congress could not. That's what the real meaning is. Now they said the states cannot have an official religion, which was guaranteed that they could by the first. So it's, it's the, the equivalent with regard to the Establishment Clause of what Cantwell did to the Free Exercise Clause. And who wrote the opinion? The majority was written by Justice Hugo Black, which this book spends an entire chapter on. A KKK, Klansman, Mason, one of the seven Masons on the court in the late 40s, one of the eight in the 50s. Real Masons, not conspiracy theory crap. Real Freemason who are just accomplishing what their goal is. To make America into an anti-integralist place at the state level. Of course it's anti-integralist at the national level. That would never work. That would violate subsidiarity. But America had it right. And Hugo Black and his Masonic buddies on the 1940s court specifically in 1947 in Everson v. Board, um, writes the opinion. He's a once stridently pro-New Deal senator from Alabama who, in winning election to the Senate previously, had had the active support of his fellow members of the Klan. He was also a very active Mason. To its 19th century racism, the Klan in the 20th century added anti-Catholicism. So what Everson v. Board of Ed did in 1947 is it incorporated the First Amendment which means that now it's saying that the, the, the whatever, six-year-old's early bedtime applies to the teenager. In other words, the, feder- the limitation on the federal government of the First Amendment now applies to the state legislatures, and it was never supposed to. The, the 16-year-old's not supposed to have the same early bedtime as the six-year-old, right? That's what incorporation did. That comes from the 14th Amendment, and the, the tyrannies of the 14th Amendment after the Civil War. This is Lincoln's, Lincoln's dream. You also got Lincoln wrong. You've been lied to about Lincoln. So the purpose, I'm quoting Gutzman now, the purpose of the First Amendment was to ensure that Congress would neither establish a religion for the United States 
nor interfere in the religious policy of individual states, states like Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire, that retained their colonial religious establishments well past the 1791. Now, take, then you get some more further radicalization of the Masonic Supreme Court in the 50s, 60s, 70s. You get a bad case. Um, this is where school prayer, this is the famous school prayer case in 1962, things are just getting more and more left, more Masonic, called Engel v. Vitale, most notorious Supreme Court decision, even though it should have been Everson. The more ma- notorious cases, Engel v. Vitale, the school prayer case, in this case, says Goodson the court, considered the constitutionality under Everson of a New York policy requiring school districts to have children recite a supposedly innocuous prayer each morning. Engel v. Vitale is what's going to make it illegal, and that's really, really, really on point for the Supreme Court case that was heard yesterday, the case of the high school football coach, fired for praying at the 50-yard line, just saying a private prayer, inviting whatever students he wants to, maybe sometimes to pray with him. Engel v. Vitale is where we're citing, but Engel v. Vitale was the first test case 15 years after Everson versus Board of Ed, which applied the rule that was supposed to bind the, the national government, the National Congress, don't have an establishment of religion nationally. It applied it wrongly to the states, which are supposed to have official establishments of religion. Mississippi should be a Baptist official establishment state. Why? Because everyone here is Baptist. If there's a Catholic state, one, I'd move to it if we could have an establishment. The really Catholic state should have as its official state religion Catholicism. I know most of you didn't know this, but original America got it right. In 1947, by the way, the proof that America was not originally Masonic is that it had to wait almost 150 years to reverse the meaning of the original Constitution. The original meaning was state establishments of Christianity, good. Most of them had it. It took 150 years to get seven, then eight Masons on the Supreme Court to literally reverse that. Went from anti-Masonic to pro-Masonic. Went from pro-Christian to anti-Christian in the 1940s. 15 years after Everson versus Board of Ed, when it incorporated the First Amendment, you get Engel v. Vitale, the school prayer case. That's especially relevant for this poor uh, Kennedy high school football coach uh, who was fired in 2015 for praying at the 50-yard line. Then you get an even more ridiculous test in 1971, building on jurisprudence. That's what it does. The later court builds on the earlier court, usually in the same direction. Aside from the reversal that you got with the reversal of culture in the 1940s, usually it builds in the same direction. 1971, you get Lemon v. Kurtzman, the so-called Lemon test guaranteeing how secular America will be in its lawfare and its culture. Lawfare and culture. Lawfare and culture. They, they fertilize each other crossways. It's not just what Andrew Breibart said. It's not that politics is downstream of culture. Culture is also downstream of politics. They're cross-fertilizing. The Lemon Test from 1971 guarantees that anything happening at the state level or the national level must have a secular purpose. That's what the lemon test does. And all of a sudden, this poor guy, who's a high school football coach, for what? He works for the state. America originally got it right. Our Constitution got it right. State operatives, 
state representatives, like a high school, uh, a public school, high school teacher represents the state of whatever, Alabama, Mississippi, they're supposed to be able to say a prayer in school. The original constitution until the 1940s stood for that, at which point a bunch of masons on the bench reversed it. And I'm confident that 39 out of every 40 viewers today did not know that. 39 of 40 at least thought the opposite, didn't understand the distinction between federal and state in the First Amendment. This is why you should take my, my recorded course. We'll get it up online after our last live course tonight. We're wrapping up. It's going to be especially relevant for the docket of verdicts that are slated for late June. Most importantly, for the Roe versus Wade potential overthrow. Don't hold your breath. We're going to hear about this guy. We're going to hear about Dobbs versus Jackson women's health in June. Take the course sometime in May. Yeah, so go to timothyjgordon.com. We're going to have a whole uh, catalog of courses, well into double digits now, and they will all be very cheap. We're going to get that up next week or the week after that, and I'll, I'll advertise it heavily. Keep your eyes on this case. God bless this guy. Pray for him. Also, pray for my twin daughters who are having their first confession tomorrow. God bless you all. Keep my family in prayer. I will keep you in prayer. Please support this program on Patreon. I'll be back with you soon. Lots of good shows this week. Lots of good guests this week. Dance Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.